You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Grass withers and the flower fades. Word of our God stands forever. So the gospel of Luke ends on the highest note possible. Uh, Luke and the finishing up, uh, you know, they, they didn't have word processors, endless word counts. Uh, he's writing on papyrus rolls, likely to be shared around to given to Theophilus. So he's wrapping up and, and he's going to end on the, the highest note he can come up with, uh, the reality of Christ's ascension into uh, the heavens. And you may think, well, how can it get any more climactic? How can it get any higher than the reality of the bodily resurrection? And it does. The reality is it does. It, the, the, the ascension of Christ is this capstone on the gospel account from the narrative of, of Luke. It, it's this does not just end with Christ resurrecting, coming back to life corporally, really, uh, body, we've emphasized this many times, really there, ate, uh, they felt him, they were around him, a real body. doesn't just end there with Jesus now living out the remainder of his uh, new immortal uh, spiritual life in a real body throughout the struggle here on this earth, but he ascends on up into heaven into the presence of God. He ascends into the heavenly realm where he takes up ultimate authority over all things. Christ ascends to his heavenly throne. Christ's victory over sin and death is manifested not only in the resurrection, but also in the ascension. Luke's account is very brief. Three verses that we are given in the Gospel of Luke on the, on the reality of the ascension. Three verses, but he's already written much on the reality of, of Jesus and his resurrection. And it's possible that he plans, he, he knows quite possibly he's going to be writing this second letter to Theophilus. Remember, way at the beginning of Luke, he says, I have, many have made an effort to write these things down, but after paying attention for a long time, I have decided to write these things down for you, dear Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And then he goes on in a second letter that we call the Acts of the Apostles that he writes to Theophilus as well. And he takes up this same narrative. This is where the book of Acts begins is with the ascension of Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you got your Bible out, you just flip back, skip the Gospel of John, right to the book of Acts, and here you hear um, Luke's accounting, recounting of this ascension. It, it appears in the Gospel of Luke as though this all happened on Easter Sunday. 
It, like he just, he, he walks to Emmaus and meets them there, then comes back and shows up and, and eats fish and has them touch him in the, in the closed room and then leads them out to Bethany and then ascends to heaven. This way it kind of, Luke is being conserving on space at the end of his gospel. But we hear what a uh, more expanded version of this in the book of Acts. So the Acts chapter 1, this is page 1080 of your pew Bible. Acts chapter 1 says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there's Luke's continuing on his expanded uh, telling of this account of this ascension. We see there's a 40-day period where Jesus shows up and offers many proofs and attesting to the reality of his resurrection and teaches them the, the nature of the kingdom and teaches them that they'll be witnesses. Uh, literally, the Greek word there for martyrdom. They'll be his witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, these concentric circles expanding out to the ends of the earth. They inquire, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Build your earthly kingdom. And he says, no, this is when the gospel is going to spread out. And then he's caught up into a cloud and ascends, ascends into heaven. And then these angels show up and say, don't gaze into heaven. This same Jesus that, that, that ascended will return. So what is this ascension? How central is it? Well, every time, every month, twice a month, we confess a creed for our call to worship. We confess the Apostles' Creed. We confess the Nicene Creed. And in there is the line that we confess as orthodox belief, a essential component that if you're going to be a bona fide and a real Christian, by the classical term of a historical Christian, you confess the, the death under Pontius Pilate, his burial, he descended into, death, into hell, and he, just, he was really dead, into the grave, his resurrection, and his ascension, where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. So that we confess twice a month, corporately as a gathering, that the authentic Christian confession is that Christ has ascended. 
He has gone and is sitting at the right hand of the Father. As much as he truly did rise from the dead, Jesus did raise from the earth and enter into eternal glory. Is with the Father in his humanity right now in his heavenly kingdom. Now, what in the world does that entail? Some, I, I've had enough conversations with some of you that I know you could get geeked out kind of on, you know, is this, a, is this jumping to an alternate dimension? Or how, does, how do you go from being here on planet Earth to then getting into the heavenly space with God? Does he have a TARDIS? No one knows what a TARDIS is unless you're a Doctor Who fan. How did he jump from here into the heavenly kingdom? What's, what's going on? And I'll answer that for you. Okay, are you ready? We don't know. We don't know. How, that, the, how the physicality of that, we aren't given that information. Scripture is sufficient. We believe, I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, which means that the Bible tells us everything we need to know, but it does not tell us everything we necessarily want to know. The science behind how Christ in his physical body here on the earth ascends into heaven is not known to us. But what we do know is that Christ in his resurrection body, his real humanity ascended, was caught up into these clouds and was taken into the presence of God. And we know that the imagery that, he, that Luke uses specifically in Acts is this being caught up into the clouds. In the Gospel of Luke, he says carried up into heaven. But in Acts, he says these clouds catch him. Well, the language he's using there is the, of the Shekinah glory that, that was in the, in the children of Israel. You remember as they leave uh, the, the Exodus and they wander around, they're led around by a, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And then when the tabernacle is set up, a cloud, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God fills the tabernacle. And that's this cloud imagery of the presence of God. God is light, unapproachable. He dwells in unapproachable light. It's tough to describe it, but it's that same language. Jesus is caught up into these clouds. He enters into the presence of, of God, into his kingdom at this ascension. So what's communicated for us uh, for sure, is that Christ was on the earth 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection. He commissions them and then he ascends and he goes up into the heavenly realm. And this is mentioned, I, we don't have time this morning. I was a little, I'm intimidated by how in the world do we cover the ascension in one Sunday? Because there's so many references. Just flip through your New Testament epistles and you'll, you'll see references to being caught up to glory or he has ascended or, or where he now reigns or at the right hand of God the Father. You'll see all this language of Christ really being in the, pres, in the heavenly kingdom right now. So, so what then are the implications of the ascension. What does that mean for us? And there are many, like I said, we could talk about a lot of different uh, implications, but most commentators that I read emphasized at least these three important implications. If you take up the major catechisms, they're, they're great teaching tools. They're kind of, they're written very didactically, question, answer. So it's kind of dry reading. Like you don't sit down and just pick up a catechism and read through it for, for leisure. But it is a great teaching tool. It's what's the question, what's the answer. And they all have sections on the ascension because the ascension is very important. In fact, the catechism that, that we go through every Sunday morning, the New City Catechism, 
has this on question 49. The question is, where is Christ now? The answer to where Christ is now is this. Christ rose bodily from the grave on the third day after his death and is seated at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? Ruling his kingdom and interceding for us until he returns to judge and renew the whole world. That's the new city catechism. He's ruling his kingdom. He's interceding for us. He's waiting for his return to judge the world. Westminster Larger Catechism has a section on the ascension. It's question 53. How was Christ exalted in his ascension? Answer, Christ was exalted in his ascension in that having after his resurrection often appeared unto and conversed with his apostles, speaking to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and giving them to commission to preach the gospel to all nations. Forty days after his resurrection, this is all the stuff that's gone on, he, in our nature and as our head, triumphing over enemies, visibly went up into the highest heavens, there to receive gifts for men, to raise up our affections thither, and to prepare a place for us where he himself is and shall continue till his second coming at the end of the world. Question 54. How is Christ exalted in his sitting at the right hand of God? Christ is exalted in his sitting at the right hand of God in that as God-man he is advanced to the highest favor with God the Father, with all fullness of joy, glory, and power over all things. So he has fullness of joy, glory, and power over all things in heaven and earth, and doth gather and defend his church, subdue their enemies, furnishes his ministers and people with gifts and graces, and makes intercession for them. You can kind of hear common themes of he's ruling over all. He's ascended because he's going to rule over all things. He's going to, he takes his humanity into heaven, and he intercedes for his people. Lastly, I'll just throw all three catechisms at you. Here's from the Heidelberg Catechism. I really like the Heidelberg. But question 49, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, to himself. And third, he sends us his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. When you look at all three of those statements, try to do a synthesis of them, the common themes are, are these, are the implications of the ascension. In the ascension, we see Christ taking his humanity into God's presence. We see that he has ascended so that he could be at the right hand of the Father forever, making intercession for us. And we see that he ascends so that he can then send the Spirit out onto the church. We're going to walk through those just quickly this morning. This taking of our common humanity into the exalted state. God is not waiting. What Christianity is about, what separates us from many other religions... This isn't about attaining to some sort of spiritual, uh, ethereal existence. That Christianity, God is not waiting for us to get rid of our humanity in order to be acceptable to him. Righteousness is his concern. There's not some unhuman state 
we are waiting to get to. When we just get rid of our bodies and then what is spiritual about us goes on. Christ takes humanity, real flesh and blood, into the presence of the Father. What stands between us and God now is not our humanity. It is sin. It is sinfulness that separates us from God. When God created us in his image, he called us good. He said that what he has made, he called us good. We are made in his image and likeness to reflect his glory. And the gospel message is not for one day. It's, that's an, it's a Gnostic, uh, Gnostic um, thinking. Flesh is bad. Get rid of the body and go on to some exalted state. Buddhism thinks along these lines. That we're just kind of trapped in these suffering flesh boxes. And one day we get rid of them and we ascend to some sort of spiritual state of deliverance. That's an, that's an Eastern religion that wants to get rid of the body. But Christianity is not that. Christ doesn't shed his body in some spiritual way go to God. He is resurrected and his real humanity is taken into God's presence. The gospel message is not that we will be made unhuman, but that we will be given Christ's righteousness. And therefore, by being made like him, we will be brought into the presence of God. Christ as our head with the Father shows that one day we really and truly, all those who are God's through faith in Christ, will truly and really be with him. Not in some state that we can't imagine or some fanciful make-believe whatever, but corporally and really. As much as Christ has gone to be with God, we too, at the resurrection, at the final day, will really be real and with each other and with God in the light of his presence and in his joy forever. That's one of the implications from the ascension. The second implication we have this morning is that Christ is now interceding for us, which is to say praying or just making an appeal to God for us. Christ is present in the throne room. He's at God's right hand making intercession for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. You can turn there if you want to look at this passage. But Christ has exalted work that he is involved in, interceding on behalf of his people. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. God has, Jesus has ascended, gone into heaven because he is there as our advocate. He is there making intercession to the Father uh, on our behalf. It's a major theme of the book of Hebrews. If you want to read through the book of Hebrews, it speaks in all these, these images of this high priest. We have a high priest who is and in, Romans, in Hebrews 8, a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. By being there, Jesus does not have to make sacrifices over and over again that we might be righteous before God. But by being in his presence as the once for all sacrifice that has been done, performed on the cross, he's a witness to that sacrifice in perpetuity, in the presence of God. Hebrews 9.25 says, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. So he's saying not in a building that is here. Christ didn't enter into some temple that humanity made. But Christ has entered into holy places made in heaven, in heaven itself, 
going on with, with Hebrews 9.25, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Implication of the ascension, we have an intercessor. We have a Savior who is at God's right hand right now reminding him this reality, this one I bought and I paid for. This one is mine. This one I, as our Romans 8, 28 fighter verse says, this one I work out all things together for their good. The ascension has Christ at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you. If you are Christ's, through faith in his work, then know that he is representing you before the Father right now. Right now, not in some, I don't know, hokey made a belief, I mean, but Jesus Christ in his real ascension is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for his people. So right now, as you sit here on a Sunday morning, listening to me work through the gospel of Luke, Jesus is interceding on your behalf that you would be drawn near to him, that you would be protected, kept, ministered to. Not just my prayers for you, Christ interceding for you. His work for you is recognized, acceptable, and powerful to work for your good. The third common implication of this ascension, it was necessary, and in fact, Jesus said to his church, it was better for them that he would go. Why? Because he's going to send out his spirit. He's going to send out his Holy Spirit that will indwell and guide and assist every believer. He's promised this, right? He says that all power will be, I'm saying the promise of the Father upon you or that you will receive power from on high. This has been prophesied throughout the scriptures. Back, way back in Numbers chapter 11, a really weird isolated story of, of Moses is setting up uh, this his, his ministration in the wilderness and people are upset because some people are prophesying that Moses didn't say or approve of prophesying. And that they come to him and say, hey, they're prophesying, they're not supposed to. And Moses rebukes them and he says, I long for the day when all of God's people will be prophets because each one will have the Spirit. That's Numbers eleven twenty nine. 29. But way back in the wilderness wanderings, Moses foresaw a day when every one of God's people would have the Holy Spirit with them. Every one of them would be filled with the Spirit. The prophet Joel says in Joel 2.28, speaks about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all of God's people. And that was manifested then at Pentecost Sunday, right? We have this, Jesus ascends into heaven, they go into Jerusalem and they wait, and then there is, as they're in the upper room, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon his church and empowers them and dwells them and fills them for, for life as Christ's witnesses. Christ now, because he has ascended and has sent the Holy Spirit, Christ now goes with each of his people through the indwelling and outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we can truly say we never walk alone. We are never, God is always, that, that statement that God is with us is, is a theological statement saying that Christ has ascended. You're not with the body, bodily Jesus Christ. If Christ had not ascended, we'd all have to go see him. He'd be a holy man somewhere on earth that we'd all have to go talk to. But because he has ascended and has sent the Holy Spirit, he is now with us. These are all glorious 
implications of the ascension. They're great, wonderful. I, I commend them to you. But as I sat in the hospital just several days this past week, it was, I, it's fascinating how God and his providence just kind of points you at certain texts and certain topics when things are going on in your life. I'm sitting in the hospital. I'm surrounded by suffering and brokenness. Those surgery waiting rooms are just, are, are just uh, gut-wrenching places to sit and to see all those sitting around you. There's one implication from uh, the ascension that was just, it was a flashing neon sign for me this week. I'm constantly struggling with this question. Who's in charge? What is going on? Wondering what's going on in this world. What's going on in my life? What's going on in my family's life? And maybe you find yourself at points asking these same questions. What is going on? Does the ascension have any application for restless wanderers? And it seems that it does. I invite you to turn with me lastly this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And looking at this prayer that Paul gives to the church. And this is what the, the, the ascension of Christ is throughout the New Testament. You can cherry pick tons of places to go to. But this is one that just is, is a powerful uh, prayer from Paul. I'll, I'll read it for you and we'll kind of just quickly go through. This is Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23. This prayer. For this reason, Paul prays, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is his prayer for him, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, and there's three things he wants them to know, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who, do, who believe? Three things he wants them to see, to have their eyes enlightened to see. The hope to which he's called you. The riches of the inheritance that is found in him. And the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. God is, Paul is desiring that they would see these three things. What is the basis then for these prayers? How can they have hope? How can they have a, a treasure that is not revocable? That a treasure that is kept in heaven for them? The immeasurable greatness of his treasure. How can they know that there's a power that is working on their behalf for their benefit? How, what is the basis for those three prayers? This hope, receiving treasure, confidence in God who works for them. They receive it, you can see how he goes on, by looking at this Christ who is raised up into his heavenly glory. Verse 20 this great might that has worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and what? And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And where is that? That is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's clear from the ascension 
Who's in charge? He has ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Why use that language? Above every name, above every rule, above every authority, above every power, above every dominion. Paul is communicating there is no area that this ascended king doesn't have the rule over. No area that he does not rule over. Christ is king and his rule is over all things. He has ascended to his throne from which he will return one day to consummate his kingdom. There were times this week when things didn't go as well as I wanted them to. Things got slowed down. I'd have to stop and remind myself, Jesus is on the throne and he rules all things. Jesus is on the throne and he rules all things. He will not fail those who are his. He can't. He's on the throne. He's ascended into the heavenly places, sits at the right hand of the Father, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion. Everything is under his feet. Why would we think for a second that there is something that could come our way that would ever tear us away from him? There's nothing. He is on the throne. This is the Jesus Luke has worked to put on display under the inspiration of Scripture. Do you know this King? Do you know this Jesus who has ascended and rules over all things? It reminded me this week, remember a year or so ago, we, we memorized Psalm 103 together. We worked on Psalm 103 together. And verse 19 says this in Psalm 103. It says, The Lord has established His throne, where? In the heavens. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Is the Christian hope just a wish dream? Not for the writers of the New Testament. Not for Luke. Because Christ lived, died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, we have certain hope. We have an anchor for our souls in the midst of life's trials. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, speaking of the surety of God's promise, that what God has promised is true. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Our anchor holds where our Christ, our Savior, has ascended and is seated at the right hand of God with all authority over all things. When life is upside down, when life goes the way you don't want it to go, which is, as my experience, 95% of the time, when things get all messed up, where is your anchor? You have a Savior who has ascended and He rules all things and He will not abandon any of those who are his. May the reality of the king who ascended, the king who established his throne in the heavens, who rules over all, may that be the reality that anchors each of our lives. By his grace, through the good news of the gospel, he is our king. May we rest in him. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see this. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
that we might have this hope that Paul prays for. That we might have an awareness of the treasure that is the inheritance of the saints that is in Christ Jesus. That we might know the incomparably great power that is at work for those who are yours because we know our Savior has ascended and he sits at your right hand. He rules over all things and he will not fail those who are his. Help us, God, to see it, to anchor our hopes there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.